and welcome to Ride the Omnibus. I'm your host, Ariel Basca, and today I'm speaking with David Ebrero, the director of Everyone Will Burn, a brilliant horror movie set in a small town in Spain. Apologies in advance, there is a horrible squeaking sound that is simply inescapable in this particular episode, um, as we were forced to interview on-site at Fantastic Fest in front of an adorable little cafe that unfortunately also had a very, very squeaky door. So I deeply apologize in advance. What I love about your film is that it centers disability in a certain kind of way that a lot of films don't. And as a disabled filmmaker myself, I'm very attracted to a lot of the notions of what you're playing with in the film. And I wondered if you could maybe comment a little bit on why you decided to make a film about the apocalypse while we're living through an apocalypse. Right. I know that's kind of an obvious question, but I thought I'd start with an obvious one. Well, we started writing the movie in the, you know, right at the beginning of the pandemic. And uh, I kept having this feeling while watching movies that movies were in a lot of the stuff that I was watching wasn't necessarily entertaining me because of the pandemic, because like everyone, I guess, was in such a like, weird headspace that I'm like, I don't want to watch like an ominous movie. I don't want to watch like, you know, I'm like, I would like something, a horror movie, but I would like to do something that's fun in the sense of like, you're really going to sit down and forget about everything that's really been going on for the past year. So it kind of was born with that while touching on the you know, cliches of horror and the, you know, we have this sort of aura and atmosphere of something you might have seen like, okay, there's this, there's this woman, there's this child and there's the apocalypse, you know, it's like, pretty much horror standards. And then once you actually dive into the story, pretty much it takes a big left turn and has really nothing to do with a lot of the movies that are out there. So that was kind of like our approach mm. when writing the script. It's also very interesting because the film has a very particular kind of aesthetic too. One of the things that I was really struck by was the way that it has both a unified aesthetic in terms of the color palettes that are used through different sequences combined with the music as well. I was hoping that I might be able to coax you to share a little bit about your thoughts on developing the musical aspects of it in combination with the visuals. Yeah, we, we worked the, the music thinking just uh, in a really melodical way, just thinking about the music and the soundtracks that um, uh, composed years ago, like in the uh, 80s, no, more or less 50s, 60s, and but at the same time have a modern vibe. So having the classical way of, uh, and at the same time modern music in, with electronics, and, and we love to, to work the music very narrative in a narrative way, um, having different leitmotifs associated uh, talking about different characters and situations and depending on the situation and the characters the music changes and evolves uh, uh, until the end right? and one of the inspirations was the obviously the, the story and the characters and the other one the, the photography was, uh, beautiful photography and the images and everything was very poetical in some way and the music I think has to be poetic in some, some way too 
Mm-hmm. Well, and a lot of the music that was incorporated as well, like the Moonlight Sonata, etc. It's very yeah. interesting to see how that gets interwoven later throughout the musical motifs, etc. But I was wondering, for you visually, how much were you thinking about what he was ultimately going to craft musically? Well, it's interesting because we actually wrote the the main theme of the movie like eight months before we shot it. Really? You know what I mean? Yeah, well, I. I uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a musician myself, so I, I was like, I really want us to have the right amount of music and the right type of music. You know, I originally planned to shoot the movie as like a 1950s musical. It was kind of like the inspiration behind the photography and the visuals. Like, I was like, let's, let's, let's read the script. And then when everybody reads the script, they're thinking of like modern horror and like, you know, the, the trends of today. And I was like, now think Audrey Hepburn, you know what I mean? Now think like funny face and my fair lady and all that stuff so everybody was like wait what and that was kind of the mix so i knew that what had to kind of be a glue of all of that was the the audio and the soundscape of the movie because you know you have a story that's somewhat modern but with this visual so the, the music you know when we took a lot of time to write the main themes that we knew it would cohesively work with the movie Wow. It makes a lot of sense, given that one of the first notes I wrote to myself was, oh my gosh, look at these costumes. Using funny stage as a point of reference obviously makes sense. When you were constructing the story arcs, because so much of it is bound up with various aspects of Spanish history, mostly negative sides of Spanish history, how did you reconcile talking about all of those things from the Inquisition to other aspects of folklore and religion and how they've infiltrated Spanish culture? Well, I'm, I'm a huge fan of folklore, mythology, and all that stuff. And, and, now, and, and now, even after writing the movie, you know, I've been sort of diving more into you know, the rich Spanish sort of mythological heritage. And with this movie, I think it kind of opened the door for that because you know, I was raised Catholic. And then I, I, you know, once I became an adult, I quickly sort of veered away from that after a lot of research and like, sort of like, I, I became a little obsessed with the concept of religion to the point where I was like, let me find out about this, about this. You know, I kind of like wanted to get a full picture of things. And Spain, because of the country it is, because we had a, a dictatorship until like you know, 50 years ago, we're still held up in some ways to the customs of the past. And... Um, there is still that clash, and that's why we set the movie in a small town, which is actually the small town that I'm from, uh, you know, like an hour away from Madrid, because I was like, I really want to show what the real Spain is like. You know, real Spain is not Barcelona, and Mm -hmm. it's not Madrid. That's two big cities, you know, but the real Spain is still very much uh, tight into, you know, our old, um, you know, ways. And I guess, you know, as the new generations, you know, come in and out, it'll slowly change but Spain in, in a way it's still sort of looking at its history uh, we haven't reconciled with our history we haven't reconciled with um, what we've done in the past as a country so wanted to you know touch a little bit on that while working while making the film you know so that people especially outside of Spain get a, a bit of a view of what, like what, what I think you know the, the, the vast part of Spain looks like mm-hmm. Well, and I think that a lot of the relationships that are built up within the film do such a really great job of also portraying the realities of the small town life that are very universally relatable, I think. But then it also does a good job with all of the cultural specificity that's in there as well. I wonder, though, when you started looking at incorporating actors into the set, 
who were from the LP community or the little people community. Yeah. How did you feel about the way that you were bringing them into the process? It was an interesting journey because we knew that we didn't want to, um, you know, have the, the, the scary parts or the horror or the monsters of the movie come from any sort of portrayal of the disability in the movie. You know, that, that was very important. And there's also a, a statement that I think is important to make where and it comes with when it comes with portraying disabled characters, LGBT characters, uh, black and Latino and Asian characters. You know, there, there's a way of like, we center those, the movies that feature those characters about their struggle and their pain, which is important historically in terms of educational purpose. But I also think the next step is just showing that they can be in any movie, you know what I mean? You can have um, pretty much any character of any background in any movie. And, and so, so it was that fine line that we wanted to walk. And when we decided to, you know, to um, feature uh, the character of Lucia as a, uh, we call it like a, a chondroplasty, I don't know, and you said LP in here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was, I had a lot of long talks with Sofia Garcia, the actress, to be like, okay, how do we do this? You know, I mean, like, this is the script, but now, you know, I want to make sure that you get out of this experience what I think is important for the future and for the portrayal and for hopefully more movies that uh, portray characters uh, like that. You know, we really, I really wanted to figure out those nuances and pretty much none of the horror of the movie really comes from that, which I think mm -hmm. was fascinating. Like, you watch the movie and you see her show up in the beginning and you're like, ah, that's what I'm going to be scared by. And then really the movie's about two perspectives of the town in dealing with the apparition of this woman, but she is not really the, the, the horror-driven you know, mechanism of the movie. So that, that was really important. I think Sofia and Macarena, the actress, did a great job in uh, tailoring all of that throughout the movie so that you know, it wasn't just like any portrayal or, or it wasn't lazy or, or just for like show. You know, that, that, was mm -hmm. really, that was really important for us. And, and we worked for, for a lot of months before the shoot to like figure out the right uh you know the right way yeah and it was such a sensitive portrayal also on her side with this character that is incredibly nuanced and layered i will admit i was a little concerned i was like oh no are we going to get an instantalized portrayal of a character with dwarfism and that would be so terrible but it's such a beautiful portrait and then the way that it's connected to the imagery at the end as well i feel like there were so many things that were done right in terms of this what would you say were the key collaborative things that you took away from working with her as an actress um i think i think was was really one, I think it's very important, the normalization, you know, I, I think, you know, the exposure, it was definitely, I mean, even for me, I'm not afraid to admit, it was, you know, kind of like my first time really, uh, in get, you know, having a relationship of, of that length and that sort um, with, you know, with a person with a chondroplasia and, uh, you know, her and I, you know, we're still friends and we talk about this a lot, even when we see movies, you know, when we like, we, we text a lot about it because like, where is it going nowadays? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's an important thing with that portrayal because I still think it's very wrongfully done most of the time, 90% mm -hmm. of the time. And I think people on set benefited from that. And, it, and it's not her job to educate anybody. It is not her job to be an example, really, because she's just another human living in the world. Um, but, you know, Sophia, in, this, in her particular case, you know, she's young, she's very lively, she's very loose, you know what I mean? Uh, and she's very 
free in the way she expresses herself and in the way she cares herself. So I really think everyone that worked on the movie was changed by the experience because um, I think in because of you know the country I come from, I think there's still stigmas. You know, there's still sort of like an apprehension towards. Uh, you know, like, would you, like the infantilization. I, I saw that on set with certain people. She saw that on set with certain people. And we really worked to to um, adjust that since the beginning, you know, like on wardrobe uh, tests and things like that. To really, because, you know, Lucia's, now it's just 2021, you know what I mean? She was 18, 19 when we shot the movie. She was, a, she was a grown woman, you know what I mean? So it was really important that nobody uh, took the wrong idea or, or treated her, because it is an adult movie, it is a movie for adults, it's not a kid's movie, you know what I mean? And her character is nothing close to a kid in the movie, you know what I mean? So that, that was, for us, that was very, I don't know, it was really important, I love her, um, I, I've written more things for her, um, I, I really, and, and also another key player in the situation was Macarena, because Macarena, she's a very established actress in Spain, she's very known, she's very famous, and I remember when I cast her, she said, I'll do the movie, but whoever plays Lucia has to be an amazing actress. You know, that was like her, that was like her condition. And uh, when, you know, we, it was a long time to cast, we had Alpe Association, which is the association of little people in Spain. They loved the concept of the movie. They helped us with the casting because, you know, they're obviously more connected with a lot of families. So we had a lot of families send their material. And then when we all saw Sofia, we kind of all looked at each other like, this might be it, you know? Like, I think she might be it. And we, we cast her and her and Macarena spent three months almost living together. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Macarena, being a famous actress and being a woman who's constantly booked and working, uh, was taking her down to Sevilla and they would spend like a weekend taking her down to Toledo and spending a weekend because they really wanted to form that bond for the movie. And I think that also became an example, you know what I mean, to a lot of people, just to normalize, you know what I mean? Like, we, we have to normalize disabled characters in movies as we have to do it in life, you know what I mean? And since art is a reflection of life and nowadays also art is almost like an inspiration for a lot of the way people live you know people live not in the way they you know you can tell a lot by what movies people like you can tell a lot of who they are by what they like so i think it's important so that you can watch this and be like oh why haven't i thought of you know uh befriending like what what you know what i mean i think it's important to to have that and normalizing stories that don't deal with their uh struggle alone you know what i mean right. to show that they are people in the world besides the struggle. Their struggle will always be there, but this is, these are people that go shopping, that go to the gym, that, you know what I mean? Like, you have to show that. It is important because most people don't realize that. And I don't know, that's what I learned at least, you know. Uh, no. I, I think I'm rambling at this point. But. No, but it is an important point because in the horror community, you see films like Leprechaun mm -hmm. and Child's Play Chucky, and I know people who've been called those things for their whole lives because these are the tropes that we have in horror. But deriving actual humanity in storylines is something that I think is very important. I recently read an article that was talking about how, um, you know, we horror is a groundbreaking genre because it, it, uh, it turns things that we don't understand into fear, and then society is able to dissect them and break down or almost normalize it in the future. You know what I mean? Like, in a way, horror has served... And now, when you look back in time, those films that I'm talking about are kind of wrong, quote-unquote, you know what I mean? They're not movies you could make today, and they're not movies that portray these characters in the right way. But horror has done that a lot of sort of putting characters 
that dramas and comedies and you know regular movies never wanted to put in film. You know what I mean? So I think that's part of the evolution of our culture. You know, we horror has shown things in the wrong way so that we could correct culture and society and do it the right way. You know, hopefully, I think that's a journey you know, that uh, it's it, you know happened in the eighties a lot. You know, it happened, you know, and I hopefully now. Um, with disabled people, with old people, you know what I mean? I think there's also a demonization of old people, especially old women, that it needs to stop, you know, in the portrayals of, you know, uh, witches or old lady, you know, the, the, that yeah. sort of genre, body genre that's done a lot. I think, We call it hagsploitation. Okay, okay, well, <laughs> I, I think that's, hopefully that's also the next step of, like, you know, uh, de-demonizing, you know what yeah. I mean, uh, those type of characters. I don't know if you've happened to see Viejos. I haven't yet. I, oh, okay. I haven't seen it yet. I haven't yeah. seen it yet. The, the, the directors are, are, are you know, acquaintances of, of, of us. And, and when I saw the movie, I was, I'm curious. I'm curious to see yeah. the picture. Have you seen it? I saw it at Fright Fest. Okay. My movie played at Fright Fest, and so I got to see it. I really enjoyed Viejos, so I'd be curious to hear what you I'm really excited to see it. We're actually yeah. meeting with them in a little bit. Oh, yeah, very coming cool. today, so yeah, we're friends from with them. Awesome. Yeah, yeah so also Viejos in 10 days, I really like it. I hope you guys really enjoy it because I think there's a lot to like there. But I did want to ask, though, in terms of the portrait of small town Spain, how on earth, with the practical effects that you have in this film, were you able to rally the resources together? Um, look, this is a movie that has been done with, like, a tenth of the budget that it would probably be budgeted by any production company, you know? And a part of that success that I think the movie holds is that uh, I, I will give a massive shout-out to Arevalo, which is my father's hometown where we shot the movie. And we would have absolutely not been able to do everything we did, uh, especially all the exteriors, all that stuff. That was all of them just kind of like, what do you need? And literally the entire town was like, how can we help? They were cooking for us. They were doing security for us. They were... Uh, we, I would be I, months before we shot. I was walking, you know, around, and I, I know people. There, because my family is from there. But I would be walking around. They'll be like, "You're the filmmaker kid, right?" And I'm like, "Yeah." They're like, "I got a location to show you, like that." You know, like they don't even know we were making a film or anything. And I did that, and we were shown that beautiful uh, broken church at the end of the movie. You know, that beautiful shot, one of my, probably my favorite shot of the movie. Yeah, we were walking down, like I was just walking down and this guy was like, I got a place you're going to like. And, you know, we saw it and I was like, yeah, I, I do indeed like it. And he was like, well, you can shoot here whenever you want. So it was just kind of like that. It was just kind of like, what did you need? And I, I actually recently just shot another film there and I'm, I'm really thankful and grateful for everything they've done for us. That's awesome. Although I will say that's probably not too strange on the part of Spanish towns, of all of the townsfolk to rally together and want yeah. to help however they can. We're very warm, you know, we're Spanish people warm. are very warm. I think in Europe, we, I'm going to say we proudly hold the flag for warm. But I think Spain especially. That's like, what I mean, Spain. I, that feeling of community and warmth yeah. there that I think you capture so well in this film oh, and I've you. never really seen anywhere else. Thank you so much. That's, that's, uh, I mean, that's so nice. You know, I, I, I was privileged to know, you know, my, my family you know, gave me a great upbringing and since my dad was from, you know, my whole family is in, in this small town and having the contrast and, and basically living with there for a long time and being there just, 
I don't know. I got to experience, I guess, all the sides of like the big city in Madrid, and then like the small town. You know, it's only forty-five minutes away, so I was pretty much there every week. So I really got to, I guess, wet myself with with everything and all the the, the culture, and and I love it. You know, it's one of my favorite places. It's probably the best food. You know what I mean? That, that you can find, uh, which is why how we tricked a lot of the people into shooting there. You know what I mean? By saying like, it's going to be great food. It's going to be great lamb. It's going to be great pork. You, know? uh, you got to, you know, you got to do what you got to do. The right? really important thing. Exactly. Right? Yeah, we're going to shoot a movie, but you're going to get a lamb at the end. You know what I mean? So like, uh, yeah. Think about the lamb and then. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not so different in the States. You know, crafty is still very important to us. Yeah. So. Happy fed people are happy people. Like, it's well, true. You know, if you feed people the right way, they'll work better. You know what I mean? I think food is so underlooked. You work, you know, work in so many films, and then the better the food, the better the film. Always. Yeah. Can't keep for the food, not for the movies. <laughs> <laughs> I've been. The people in the festival are tired of me because every every time I meet with someone, I'm just like, okay, so where's the best barbecue? Where's the best Tex-Mex food? I'm like, I'm here for the food. That's nice. That's nice. Well. I want to thank you so much, and I don't want to get in the way of your next meal, but, but no, thank you. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much, and really thank you for watching it. the movie and all your kind words, and it means a lot. Oh, absolutely. It it's really such a phenomenal film, though, and I wish you all the luck with it thank here you. at Fantastic thank Fest you. and beyond. Thank you. We're, we're very excited. This is, you know, it's been a year of festivals, and closing here is, I don't know, it's very important. You know, it, it kind of means a lot. It's a full circle, you know. We started at Sitches a year ago, so... Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's, it's had quite the run. Yeah, no, it's, it's had it's had all the run, but, you know, that's yeah. why, you know, this kind of feels cathartic. It almost feels like a, a birth, you know, in that sense of, like, this is it, it's out, you know, it's uh, getting it out there now, finally. And, and for people to see it in the States, I'm very excited. I think it's the people that, especially international audiences, are going to really enjoy to get that sort of peek and window into yeah. an over-exaggerated way of... of you know, uh, well, and I also think because everything is so fully fleshed out in the world of this film, you incorporate so much of like the food culture, for example, just casually into scenes in a way that I don't think most American filmmakers would do. And it's interesting to see the way these interstitial cultural elements really deepen your understanding of what's happening. Thank you. Anyway. That's so cool. That's really yeah. cool. All well, right. thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. And thank you for taking a moment right now to reflect with me on the history of the land you are listening on now. Whether you are stuck in traffic or sitting in your office chair, take the time to look up whose traditional lands you are on now and what treaties govern those territories. I record this podcast on the site of land stolen from the Manahoac people. I am grateful to work on this land, and I acknowledge that we need to protect and honor the history of the indigenous people from other tribal nations that have made innumerable contributions around the world. I share this in the hope that my listeners may join me in honoring our past, present, and future. Without this land, this earth, and each other, we are nothing. Before I go, please take 30 seconds now to leave us a five-star review by clicking on support the show in the show notes. We don't want your money. We want your words. A simple RTO rocks my socks expands our reach and helps us keep bringing you great content. 
and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, where we are at Omnibus Ride. You can also visit our website, omnibusride.com, where you can go to dive deeper into our content and learn more about the show. A special thank you to our amazing editor, William Das. We truly couldn't do what we do without him or Danielle. Be well, be safe, and keep in touch. Thank you.